Radio. This is Catholics Read on Cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Victoria. And sadly, Kiara is not joining us today. She so sends her just, apologies. She does. She does. Uh, so it'll just be us two today. Uh, and this time we are reading Macbeth, um, which is famous Shakespearean tragedy, the shortest of the tragedies. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder why we did the shortest one. <laughs> um, yes. And... Um, yeah, I mean, usually we do a bit of a plot summary, but we're probably going to, like, stop doing our plot summaries because the plot summaries take, like, half the podcast. Plus, everyone knows what Macbeth is about. You've either studied it in um in high school or you've watched the, the film or... or... Something. There's probably, it like, it permeates culture. It does. So, or at least the English Anglosphere culture. But, but a short rundown, a very short rundown... <laughs> Is there's a guy called Macbeth. He is Scottish. He runs into some witches. They prophesy something. That he's going to be the king. He's going to be king. Um, he takes it on upon himself to um, kill the king so that he becomes the king. And what ensues afterwards is just this- Tragedy. Tragedy, uh, bloodbaths, fate, um, war. And eventually he is, he's killed. And he's killed. He has a wife, Lady Macbeth. We'll talk about her later. Yeah, yeah. Basically, well, look up the look up, look up the plot summary. It's about a minute. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> felt a lot shorter than that, but uh, so yes, that's Macbeth. Um, and oh, I don't know what to do with our time now, Victoria. Well, we can just say a little bit about Macbeth, the the play to begin with. It's one of his last plays. So all the ones that we usually study in, for instance, in school, Hamlet, Midsummer Night's Dream, um, they were all written beforehand. This was written. Um, in 1606, and um, it's the shortest. Uh, it can be, it can be. Pl- uh, I shouldn't say run down or played. What's the word? It can be performed mm. um, in in a straight two hours without a break and with no um, very large um, cutting down of scenes or anything like mm. that. So it's very short. Um, in fact, one of the theories is that it comes from so, a, um, yeah, some, from prompt from a prompt book. Well, are you, are you I, I've read that? that some editors at the time or later on in time believed it to be a, a like a short touring version. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It's not the full. We no longer have the full length version of Macbeth. That's a theory. It's like, a theory. The I I, version, I don't know. I don't believe that theory. I was reading. Um, I was reading the introduction to the Penguin play and it was talking about how um while shakespeare the word the word smith wait i'm going to try and quote it it's a re- actually a really good little quote while shakespeare the word right seems to have been taking it easy in macbeth shakespeare the designer was working overtime mm. so what he's saying so what this person was this the point the person was making was that shakespeare um Every scene is very, very short. Even I think the opening scene has something like 10 lines or something like that. It's very short. There are 26 scenes, most of which don't go for more than 100, 100 lines. I think only seven go for more than 100 or some, some crazy statistic like that. And everything is switching and changing and there's pace and it's meant to get more and more overwhelming because all these things are happening and there's a momentum of tragedy. Mm. Um, it's almost like the, like the Marx gospel of Shakespeare. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's meant yeah. to. Yeah. So that's how it's meant to be. Um, Sorry, I'm just looking at this because okay. I just need to note. 
mad copyright protection right here. I figured this oh, out, yeah. by the way. We're all good. It's, we're okay, I think. I think. That's a problem. As long as, long, been quoting as, long as I books. say, <laughs> as long as I say that you did mention that this is from the Penguin version. Yes. Uh, from 2005. And the introduction, I think, that you were reading well, is it's by... Not in, it's not the introduction. Oh, no. It's, an, it's another bit. It's called oh, it's on, from, on Performing or something like that. Okay. This is a neat it's little section. It's by that... someone in the Spencer Wells and Hunter and Rutter version of Macbeth 2005. Very no, 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 no. I think that's, I think that's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> we just had this like thing a couple of weeks ago where I'm like, hang on a second. Are we able to quote extensively from Carol things? By Carol Chillington Rutter. Oh, okay. There it was. Go. Yeah. Um, excellent little quote there, Carol. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and she- Go buy the book if you want to read more. <laughs> and she compares Macbeth to, for instance, um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's okay. Dream has um, very few scenes. Something like fifteen or yeah, or under yeah. Well, ten. It was the, it was I can't remember. The shortest one. That was why we did a Midsummer Night Stream. Yes, but but the but but for instance, the the long scenes. There are lots of people yeah. talk and talk and talk. Mm. Whereas in Shakespeare, uh, in Macbeth, it's always chopping and changing. New people come the in, people leave. Really more information is brought into the scene, yeah. and then people leave again. And um, the lighting guys have a lot of work to do. Oh, if there's thunder and lightning like, in this. Vroom, vroom, there are vanishing vroom, vroom, witches. Yeah. And there are trumpets, and um, it's a very—they're just going overtime. And apparently, the whole the whole play is meant to—it's u- usually meant to be set in in darkness, okay, relative yeah. darkness, which would have been a feat for the people in the Globe because it would have been performed, I'm assuming, in some form of daylight. So they mm. would have had to try and engineer something. I don't mm. really know how they would have done it. Um, and the way they got thunder and lightning, I've been told. Set off some fireworks. No, apparently. And I, I came across this before I knew that we were reading Macbeth. Um, I can't remember about the lightning, though. I'm, I'm sure it's like lights and mirrors and stuff. Mm. I'm not really sure. But the thunder, apparently, they had some vault up in the up in the top of the globe. Um, somewhere somewhere in the top structures that used to have a cannonball rolling back and forth. Ah, oh, so it sounded like the rolling mm. thunder. Oh, yeah, and it used cool. to- And maybe I misunderstood what this person was writing about, but it was almost surround sound. Yeah. To make the audience feel as if it was happening. Anyway, it's very That's cool. But we do have things to talk about. We do, we do. We actually um, wrote them down this time because we were trying. to talk about them. Yeah, yeah. So, number one on the, on the agenda um, is- Probably one of the most talked about themes in Macbeth, which is the this whole problem or or exploration, should I say, of predestination. All right. So what happens is Macbeth comes across these witches. They make a prophecy about him being first made the thane of Cawdor and then the king, right? And very soon after, people come to Macbeth and say, "Because you were so valiant in battle, you have now been made the new." King uh, Thane of Cawdor, and he thinks, oh, so one thing's happened already. Mm. Perhaps it's not so much of a stretch. I am the king's cousin. I can be king. And so the whole question arises of, is this fated that this should happen, or did the witches suggest it to him, and and then it happens? Yes. So And so it's this interplay between a Protestant, particularly Calvinist way of looking at things, predestination, and more of the free will... Um, interacting with God's omnipotence, Catholic way of looking at things? The answer is both. <laughs> Take it away, Luke. The answer is, I, I, as far as, ooh, some someone can write in and correct me on this, but the, the problem 
it's this problem of if a person is told, so um, it, it goes back to, I guess it goes back to one of the questions concerning the problem of evil, which is that if something is, if something bad is going to happen um, and God is all powerful, why does he not stop it from happening? So there's that sort of question that, that's dealed with, that's been dealt with um, throughout Christian history. But so you have this, this question that question's a little bit different, but it's related to this, this question of um, are things set in stone as in fate? Are they going to happen in terms of like, as you say, like a fate and that people, there's really nothing that they can do about it? Or do people have this freedom uh, to be able to choose their own destiny as it were? And the answer is a little bit of both in the sense that we do have free will. However, we have free will, but we experience time. Our whole experience of the universe is change, um, which is Aristotle and, and I believe St. Thomas Aquinas, that our experience of the universe comes from change. If there's no change, we're not experiencing anything. Um, and so that's our, that's our experience of, of existence. Um, however, that's not God's experience of existence, if you can use the term experience, in that God knows is outside of time. Um, he's eternal. And so all moments of time that we would consider to be past, present, and future are all present to God. And so he knows what is going to happen, but not in the same sense as I know what's going to happen. So if someone tells me in 10 minutes, you know, there's going to be a storm outside, for example, um, and my anticipation of that is kind of like that in 10 minutes, there's going to be 10 minutes, nine minutes, eight minutes, and then there's a storm that's going to be about be outside. That's different, I think, to God's experience in that it's not as though he's anticipating something, but that it's, it's that already he's, happened. He's, no, the thing well, is, it's happening. he's present to every single moment mm. of history. So he's always seeing it happen, but he's yeah. present to each moment. C.S. Lewis actually talks about this. In our first book that we ever covered, mm. which was um, Mere Christianity, I believe it might be in book three or four, maybe book three. And he it describes it as you have a line on a piece of paper and that line is our chronological experience of history, whereas God is the paper himself. Mm. Mm. Or, for instance, if you need a bit more of a explanation, Peter Kreeft has... A podcast, I believe, called Fated and Free Will. Okay. Fated and Free, question mark, I think, yeah. is what it's called. I found that very helpful. Yeah. It's because I think a lot of the time people find this to be a very difficult question to grapple with because we try to, we, we I guess, put our own experiences onto and presume that that is God's experience when that's not correct. Which is cute, but... Just not, not how not it correct. works. <laughs> um, so, for, so in in the case of Macbeth here, um, if we were to say, um, in terms of God's experience of Macbeth, theoretically, of course, because Macbeth didn't happen, but well, um, Macbeth did live, but not as portrayed in this. No, no, it's the <laughs> um, in, no, no, of course, yeah. Um, but in that, if we're going to apply the same thinking. To Macbeth, we could say that um, that Macbeth was completely free to to make his decision, and I think that's made clear. I feel that you're almost you you are he's provided the various crossroads, and mm. you can see him wavering, and you can only waver if you know two two particular ways of going. Yeah. Um, and he unfortunately 
makes a bad a, a bad choice. Yeah, bad choices, yeah. should I say? It's it's kind of it's kind of hard to explain, but it's that God knows what is going to happen, not because he he's able to see into the future in the same way that we might think that. Like, you know, people say, see into the future, but because God is experiencing all of these things, again, using the term experiencing there is probably problematic, but in the present, mm. but we have the free will to make decisions about that. Um, I probably didn't explain that very well, and I apologize. It's kind of one of those things where I understand it in my head. Um I'm just trying to think. It's something that comes up a lot in in Catholic theology um, throughout history, particularly, I think. I'm just trying to think if Boethius, I think, deals with it, maybe. Um, different, different thinkers have dealt with something like that. I think Boethius deals with it um, in the question of... It might be a question about a thief or some, someone... I can't remember. I, I, pol- I apologize to the listener, but I think in Boethius you have a discussion of predestination and free will. Um, but again, it's something that does come up. St. Thomas Aquinas most probably has it in the Summa somewhere. Um, but the answer, the answer <laughs> Biggest is- Catholic cop-out. It's in the Summa probably somewhere. But it's, I, I, I honestly can't remember. Um, I probably should have looked this up. But yeah, it's the, the answer is, is that we're not... Um, Predestination, or at least the, the hard predestination or the hard double predestination, for example, that you would find in um, in certain forms of Calvinism um, are this kind of, like, idea that we are... And if there are any Calvinists out there, and this is unfair, please write in, because I'd be very interested to know if I'm where I'm getting this wrong, um, if I am, that it's almost like we're in a play like Macbeth and that the parts have already been written and we are simply fated to go along those paths. So and there's nothing we can do about terrifying, it. The terrifying, I think, natural end to that way of thought is that some people are predestined yes. to damnation. Yes, that's and double predestination. I, yes, and that's where the church had a problem with that, obviously. Yeah, it's not, it's not problematic to say that God wills or desires everyone to be saved and that we have the, free, the freedom... To opt out of that. Um, in terms of the the witches, though, and I think this is possibly what the interesting thing here is, is that the question of did the witches put it in in his head and cause that to happen, or was he or was it always going to happen? Um, I think the answer is in a, in an interesting way, kind of both. In that you're dealing with something like you when you're dealing with the witches, you're dealing with something kind of demonic uh in the sense that they do have this vision of of the future mm. and they set him on that path towards but interestingly enough the they're on that path too mm. it's very interesting like they they seem to be within the confines of this of these laws of fate as mm. well that they were fated to tell him do you get what i mean what? Fated's not the right... Maybe fated's not the right word. However, interestingly enough, fun fact, they're called the Weird Sisters as well as the Witches, and yeah. weird in this sense actually means fate. Okay. Um, back in that context. Anyway. Okay. Weird Sisters just sounds like a an indie band or something. The Weird Sisters. <laughs> they're a, you know, Lose and Roots band <laughs> play down at your local pub every so often. 
Um, anyway, thinking of the Scissor Sisters. Um. I think that's I think that's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's an the the predestination discussion is a is quite an interesting discussion. I think it does mm. have quite a bearing on on Macbeth, um, and it's inexhaustible. Academics keep picking this up. High school teachers keep wanting to I talk just, about. I I, I find it, but I. Th- <laughs> It's interesting, but I also kind of find it a bit of a... Like, when you say they keep picking it up, like, mm-hmm. are they looking at it from the perspective of what was William Shakespeare trying to do here? Every or are they looking at it as a... Because, like, to me, like I was saying before, it doesn't really matter what William Shakespeare was trying to say. Like, I don't care if William Shakespeare was trying to say that, no, that they were absolutely fated, because that's not true. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe... Like, it's... Do, do you get what I mean? Yeah, no. Like, it's almost like, because it's a philosophical question, it precedes what the author intends. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it precedes that. Um, and so, insofar as William Shakespeare does not answer the question, then the question defers to reality. And the reality is that Macbeth was not predestined in in a hard predestined... Well, no, he wasn't predestined because he's committed a sin. Um, and you are not predestined to commit a sin. Full stop. Like, I should probably make that very clear. <laughs> um, that, that no, that one isn't predestined to sin. But God allows one to sin so that good may come of it. Um, but that said, we can't then start using that for our own ends to say that, oh, oh, well, then therefore I'm going to sin if I can foresee a good end coming from it because we're not God. We don't have that eternal vision um, and we're not really permitting or we're not being, sorry, rather permitting is not the right word, but we're not approaching it in the sense of allowing it to happen, um, but we're rather being active agents in the sin. Um, so con- that's why, like, in, in part, why consequentialism is awful. Mm. Um so, but the commentary yeah. on sin, and we'll use this as a sort of like a a segue, perhaps into the next thing we're talking about, is that Macbeth. I, I think he he jumps from attitude to attitude. Sometimes, like right at the beginning, he seems to not want to do any evil, and then he becomes practically but drunk he gets on it. That. No, but he gets see the thing is at the start he gets this kind of sense of that glamour. Like, from the beginning, you don't get any sense, I don't think, at any point that he doesn't want to be king. Like, he kind of gets this, like, oh, yeah, I really do want to be king. And, like, he's sort of grappling with, oh, these these witches are a little bit, oh, I'm not sure if I should be following them. He finds out he's the Thane of um, of Cawdor. Mm. And he's like, oh, oh, maybe, like, but the thing kind is, of, like, what, that desire. What's interesting is, I think we can see ourselves... In Macbeth, at least at the beginning of the play, because we all have these temptations towards mm. uh, bettering our situation, towards more glamorous ends, I suppose. But then also that to to get there, one might actually have to um, do some pretty terrible things. And what are the consequences of those terrible things? What are the implications? And I would like to take the opportunity to quote this bit because I think it's really interesting, the point that he's making. So this is when he, uh, Lady Macbeth says, oh, well, King Duncan's coming to our house. Why don't we kill him? That's a great opportunity. And Macbeth then says, um, we still have judgment here that we but teach bloody instructions, which being taught return to plague the inventor. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poisonous chalice to our own lips. So what he's saying is that whenever something evil is done, when there, when sin is committed, 
you might think it's bettering you, but it will always redouble back to you and bring you down in the end. That there can never be uh, a wrong act without this wrongness coming back to you in some way. That's not yeah. a, that's it's a terrible not, way of phrasing it. I think it's, I think it's it, because, you know because I mean. it, can sound, it can sound a little bit like karma or something like that, which yes. is not... We were talking about this before. I kept calling yeah. it karma, and that's not the it's, word I want. But I, I guess it's this sense of the justice and balance. Well, it's almost like it's almost like the natural order of things, and that's yeah. apparently one of the one of the the themes in this. The disruption Wikipedia, of order, yes. Wikipedia is the disruption of order that you have this sense that or, or you have. So, what has Macbeth has done is is that he's ruptured something in nature. He's yes. committed a sin. He has murdered somebody. And by that rupture, it's not as though you then kind of have this, like, um, karma kind of debt where the evil power is going to come back and get him kind of thing, like that kind of thing. It's that. It's a natural consequence of that. It's a natural consequence that if you live in a society, if you live in a world which is being fueled by violence, by hatred, you are setting yourself up to be in an environment of violence and hatred. And the consequence of that is the wages of violence and hatred. Yeah, and if you think about it, sin is sin is evil. Evil mm-hmm. is the dep- deprivation of good. If there's a deprivation of good, there are going to be... Um, that will manifest itself in some way. It might not be immediate. Um, quite often I think it is. Um, but sometimes it will show itself somewhere down the track. Um, and in Macbeth, spoiler into his madness and his death. Yeah. And just everything going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, um, when we talk about, like, nature and natural order of things, one of the things that was pointed out on the Wikipedia article was that, <laughs> um, in fact, I should probably check who who actually says that. So, it's possibly Janet Alderman. Uh, the uh, the article is not particularly clear because it goes onto a new sentence, and but it's possibly Janet Alderman um, talking about uh, feminist psychoanalytic or psychoanalysis, which actually goes in is a good segue into our next bit. Mm-hmm. Um, is talking about that nature itself sort of comes back to, I guess, in a sense, reclaim um, oh, what's yeah. been lost in the movement of Burnham Wood. That it's Burnham Wood that oh. brings it down. So, just if, if you don't know what we're talking about there, that at the end, um, uh, the the English or the, the armies well, that come from England... We need to go back for one second because the witches say, um, you won't be defeated unless a few things happen. Beware Macduff, beware a man not born of woman, and when the trees come at you... There's, there's a problem. Yeah, and he's like, oh, the trees <laughs> trees aren't going to move, yeah, so like I'm safe. Kind of, I'm kind of thinking of, like, the Ents from Lord of the Rings. Yes. And that's the, that's the image, like, that he kind of has in mind. Yeah. That's ridiculous, so I guess I'm good. But then. But then <laughs> they cut down the, the armies that are marching upon uh, Macbeth, cut down the trees and sort of move along with them to try and mask their numbers. Yes. And so, in a sense, the woods are moving down towards the castle. Oh, that's um, really interesting. Which is quite interesting because it is like nature is is taking back what has been lost um, by that rupture caused by, by like Macbeth's that. initial and then consequent acts Then there's of the evil. age of co- old question of did Shakespeare actually intend that, that awesome Possibly. Mirroring. I'm not sure. This is something that high I'm school not sure. students I mean, always I think ask. It's, well, we're not, we're not that far away from the medieval period and it does kind of seem like a bit of a medieval thing. It's fantastic. I hope um, you did. So, medievalists... 
Right on in. We, we, we've got a lot of right in things in this yeah. episode. But yeah. <laughs> um, but that's a good segue into-, into manhood and womanhood, masculinity and femininity. Um, yes. Did you have anything well, to say? Well, just on my cursory reading of this, I mean, I have read this before and it comes up a lot, obviously, when you're studying English teaching. Um, basically, how femininity and masculinity are portrayed in, in this play. So when... Macbeth writes to Lady Macbeth and says, this is what's happened. The the weird sisters have told me this, this, and this, and this, and that I'll be king. Lady Macbeth uh, gets really excited by this and starts starts plotting, basically, um, for Macbeth to at some point be king. This will involve a murder. And she starts talking about how she needs to um, be unsexed and how she needs to um, be less... Uh, of a woman. Of a woman. I'll try and find it. I can't paraphrase it. It's really creepy. It's it's here. Oh, I don't actually. I don't really want to say any of this. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's, it's quite, pretty interesting. It's quite interesting and and quite horrible. Yes, but she's basically points. saying like you know, unsex me here, make thick my blood, um, stop up the access and passage to remorse, uh, that there is no compunction. Um, take my milk for gall and um, all this other stuff basically turn me into this what she thinks is a man but the thing is that it's not a man it's some monstrous inhumane creature Mm. and later on she uses this to spur on um, I was about to say Hamlet that'd be weird Um, (laughs) Macbeth so before I mentioned how before I mentioned how Macbeth was uh, wavering. Should I do this? If I do this, this is a sin. This sin will come back to get me. And basically, you almost feel like he's not going to do it because uh, you almost feel like he's not going to do it because he starts talking about how um, Duncan is a virtuous man and how could he do this? And then basically Lady Macbeth says, well, you're not a man. And he's like, oh, okay, love. Okay, yeah, wife, it, I'll it, do it. Well, it, it, gets, um, it gets to him. It does get to him. Man. Yeah. Um, which is, which I think is a pertinent point here because maybe Luke, you're the better person to talk about this though, but, um, to be assured in one's masculinity is, is an important thing. And if someone's saying you're not a man, yeah, it's, it's hard to take that. It's probably one of the more difficult yes. things to deal with. Like, Especially if, if it's coming if from your wife. If someone was to say to you, like, you know? not a, I, like, I don't know. If someone was to say to you, Victoria, mm. or, like, that you're not a woman, like, would you consider that to be offensive? Yes. Or okay. <laughs> you consider it to be offensive. Okay. Well, then may- maybe it's perhaps it's, like, not analogous. But, I mean, it's um the interesting thing that, that I found with this is that, as you said, you know, that it's not it's not masculinity that she's that she's taking on, and nor with Macbeth is his uh, is his act, and he sees this, making him more of a man, um, and he even says this like we can't sort of um, we can't sort of say that like those things that are truly or in some ways like in a sense like a caricature, um, or the those general aspects of masculinity that we might see so like toughness courage or courage probably isn't even the right word but like so like toughness you know 
that kind of thing.、Mm. Um, having more of that doesn't make you more of a man. And there's an there's an interesting line here from Macbeth when when they're having this discussion. He says, "Prithee, peace! I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none." And I find that to be a really interesting line because he's not saying that you know, like, to be a man is to do like you know stereotypical manly things to the extreme. You know, <laughs> like you know, it is masculine to, I guess, um, to go out to the fields and and I don't know, like hunt boar or something like that, or or you know, use those those masculine aspects of strength, but to use that strength to murder somebody. Um, is not masculine at all. You know,、um, it's who dares do more is none. It's it's not masculine. It's just it's a sad thing to watch these two people drag each other into monstrosity. There's this bit where Lady Macbeth, um, I can't find it, but she basically says, "I would have killed Duncan myself, hath he not resembled my father asleep." Something along those lines, and you can see that she's got it within her to. Be compassionate to take pity, and yet she she despises this aspect of herself. It's ambition. That's what it, it is. Yeah, it is. It's this ambition that that cuts underneath and forces them to or not forces them, but like encourages them, spurs to use Macbeth's own word. Yeah, to um to take them away from from their nature、um, as man and as woman. Or to pervert that nature up.、Mm. Uh, in the case of Lady Macbeth, to utterly destroy her feminine aspect, and in the case of Macbeth, to amplify it that it becomes distorted.、Um, yeah. So I think I think that's interesting because it does show that like that when one that masculinity and femininity aren't opposites,、um, that the opposite of masculinity is not femininity. The opposite of masculinity is emasculation,、um, whether that be sort of in the in the sense of hypermasculinity or hypomasculinity,、um, going either over or under there,、um, are both, I guess, ways of perverting masculinity. But neither of those things are femininity, and it's the same for f- femininity.、Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, maybe a good ending comment is that someone listening to us thinking, "Oh yes, but where's where's the middle point? How do we know that we're not going over or under?" Blah blah blah. Jesus, the best、yeah. role model there is,、um, and Our Lady.、Mm. Um, if you want to know the true meaning of masculinity and femininity, it's found within that. Yeah, and I think the the important thing to remember is in terms of like we need to understand like them. So so our Lord and our Lady in terms of their masculinity and their femininity, not necessarily in terms of because sometimes we might get mixed up like in terms of their personality. Oh no! Like that could you could、yeah. sort of get things wrong with that. Is that not everyone is going to be like our Lady in the same sense that she is Mary because because she is. She is Mary, you know. She's her own individual person, and you are your own individual person. And it's、mm-hmm. the same with our Lord,、um, in the that each of us is called to. We,、uh, I think it was Father Daniel McCann talks about this in、um, in in his talk on on sexuality that went up a couple of weeks ago on Cradio.、Um, but he uses Saint Joseph instead of our Lord, probably,、ah. probably because it's a little bit easier. Because yeah, no, that makes saying, sense. <laughs> 
like it can be a little bit tricky because you don't want to say you know but he uses yeah, saint no, joseph really instead yeah. but that like no matter you know like who you are you know our lady is perfect but you can't love like our lady does not in the sense of you're not good enough but in the sense of rather sorry i should flip that around that our lady can't love as you do if you're a woman and saint joseph even as great as he is um he cannot love in the same way as you a man can um and i think that's quite an interesting way of looking at it as well mm. is that like when we look at when we look at them and and even to our lord um in terms of their masculine respective masculinity and femininity um we look to their masculinity and their femininity um and not necessarily to their to their personality or or, or something like that our lord's a little bit different because in terms of temperament oh, yes yeah. we do Perfect. look to him um because he's perfect in all his temperaments but that's another another discussion um, <laughs> for another for day time. but yeah anyway i think but looking at masculinity and femininity i think is quite an important important thing because we do live in a world where these are becoming distorted we do live mm. in a world i think where it's sometimes encouraged for women to um to i guess not i want to be very careful how i say this um but i guess to 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 um try and live like a man as it were um and often this can be completely not like a man um not because they're a woman but because this ideal of what a man is or what a man is perceived to be in achieved so an, an example an example of this is which is everywhere in our society now is that for a woman to truly uh transcend her her emotional vulnerable um beautifully loving state that gets hurt within relationships the answer to this is to be like a man and to sleep around and to just not care about any of it and the irony of that is that it's, it's that's, not that's like not, a man that's not anyway. being yeah. a, that's not being yeah. a man that's not being a gentleman that's not it's just it's ridiculous. But it's it actually the funny thing is, is that that's that's like the interplay between Lady Macbeth. I know. Is <laughs> that you have this problem? And sorry, I was going to go on to then um, that in terms of men, that you do have a lack of male role models, and mm. so what we do see of masculinity in our culture is this kind of weird hyper masculinity, which is not masculinity at all. It's kind of taking those caricatures of masculinity, all those bare seeds of masculinity, and kind of pumping them up as far as possible. Um, until it's so, such a complete distortion of masculinity. And look at our society. You have this kind of encouragement of women to be like men, which is not like men at all. And you have this encouragement of men to be hyper men, which is not like men at all. Um, it's a bit weird that it keeps going towards <laughs> men, isn't it? Um, but I guess that's one of the problems, isn't it? Um, so it's a bit of a war on women. It, it's, a, it's a war it's, on it's, everybody. It's, it's a war on everybody. There is a war on women, but it's not the war that I think is commonly no. spoken <laughs> of. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's possibly something to, when you're listening to this, to go away and think about. Um, and I guess to observe in the culture is how is our culture presenting masculinity and femininity? And then looking at that in light of the interaction or what happens to Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, and how there is, I think, a very there are some similarities there. I mean, it's not always going to be, you know, the hapless guy who who gets spurred on by by his his equivalent of Lady Macbeth. Like, I'm not saying that 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 guys are all innocent doofuses um, or anything like that, but just that general interplay there and how how society is playing that out as well. Um, 
So we went on way longer than I expected. Yep. We were kind of thinking, oh, man, I don't know how we're going to fill out this time. Well, we definitely filled it out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we'll finish there. Macbeth is a fantastic a fantastic play, but it's also a play. I think we said this before. We, we say this all the time. It's not meant to be read. You it's need to view it. You need to view it. Um, and Preferably live. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a great lesson. There's some great lessons, I think, that can be taken from it. Um, especially, I think, for our world today, which encourages these things and encourages ambition and encourages this kind of Machiavellian kind of mm. approach to approach to the world um, in certain ways. It's not all bad, but there's bad things there. <laughs> so yeah, um, so we will be back next time uh, with again. something. Who knows? <laughs> um, we'll be back with something. We'll discuss it, but yeah. So, um, until next time, uh, we will, yeah, see you later. Happy reading. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.